Advent season, and we are celebrating today the Advent of hope. Uh, if you're not familiar with even the word Advent, I haven't really said this this year, but you know, Advent is, is very simple meaning. It just means the arrival of a notable person, the arrival of a notable thing, the arrival of a notable event. We are celebrating all three of those during the Christmas season. The arrival of a notable person, thing, and event. The arrival of Jesus on earth. The arrival of the event that led to our salvation. The arrival of righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God on earth. That is what Advent is all about. And don't you love that even when that kind of bleeds over into the world sometimes, like you can see Advent calendars and and, you know, they have all the, the funny ones now with all the marketing, like the Lego advent calendar, the, uh, the Star Wars advent calendar. But you know what? They might not know it. But what those things are doing is pointing to the greatest event in the history of the world, the greatest arrival in the history of the world, the arrival of the Son, the Savior, the Messiah, that in the very beginning of creation when Adam and Eve fell, God looked at the serpent and he said, the seed of a woman will crush your head. The arrival of that seed that crushed the enemy's head, that took his power, took his authority, took it to the grave with him, left it there, and rose with the keys of life and death in his hands. That is what Advent is all about. It is the celebration of the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of love, joy, peace, and hope that we're going to talk about today. Hope is my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, about five years ago, probably during Christmas, I got one of my favorite Christmas presents I ever got from my friend Bethany, who's here today. She's one of my oldest friends in the whole world, Bethany and Nick Corgan. And I, off the top of my head, said something ridiculous. She's not the oldest friend I have. I've known her the longest. She's way younger than me, actually. I said something off the top of my head, I don't know, I just said some goofy phrase like, you know, at Freedom, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna live by that saying, don't get your hopes up. In fact, we're gonna get our hopes hopier. Yeah. That's what I said. I've been living by that. Bethany made me this great little sign that's in my living room that says, get your hopes hopier. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. I look at it all the time, but that is what we're about at Freedom, hope. There is a living, breathing hope on the inside of you, a hope that breathes. Man, if you want to call this message something today besides just hope, this is called a hope that breathes. First yeah, Peter chapter one, verse three, listen to this. It says, celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience, listen to this, a living, energetic hope through the, re through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living, energetic hope. Man, I love that. I love that. I heard somebody say this one time that nobody wants to follow an, a leader with no energy. People are drawn to energetic people. People are drawn to energetic leaders. If you walk in the room every morning, yawning with your head down, talking about how tired you are, I got a feeling there's a lot of people writing you off before you even say another word to them. Man, people want to look to the person who's leading them with energy, with a living hope, an energetic hope. 
It's not just a sitting around, waiting, sitting on the couch, hoping that things get better. No, there's an energy to this hope. There's an energy to this hope that's alive and it gets you moving. It's breathing into your very situation. And if you allow that hope to breathe into your situation, you will see a turnaround faster, maybe like you've never seen before. I just love that he says living and energetic hope. Before we finish today, I want to give you a definition for hope that involves those ideas of it being living, of it being breathing. I want to start, though, by talking about maybe getting a bit of an understanding about hope by talking about the opposite of hope. The reason I want to get an understanding of hope by starting with an opposite because there's a lot of people in the world that are much more familiar with the opposite of hope than hope itself, and the opposite of hope is worry. The world's version of hope is literally worry. Hope is using your imagination to picture the positive outcome. Worry is using your imagination to picture the negative outcome. And boy, we do it all the time when we are walking in our flesh. And just like hope being alive and breathing, you know, worry kind of is as well. Because worry can adapt to whatever situation you're in. Worry will adapt whether things are going good or bad. Let's say things are looking up. Stop worry starting to be a thing of the past. Things are getting better, and all of a sudden, I don't know, you get a notification. There's a new variant of COVID out there. Worry adapts and said, just when I was starting to relax, now I'm worried about Omnicron or whatever. It's like a, that, that was a Transformers name, by the way. Every time I hear the phrase Omnicron, I just think of Transformers. But let me tell you, when people start relaxing a little bit about this, the world will give us something else to worry about because worry will adapt to your situation. And you know what? When things are going good, worry's going to knock on the door of your mind and say, hey, you know, things are going good, but what if? I was watching an old episode of Seinfeld this week, and things started looking up for the character named George. He started uh, seeing some success in his life. Then all of a sudden, he looks in the mirror, and he basically like sees something on his face that's not really there, a spot. And he keeps asking people, do you see this spot on my lip? Do you see this spot? You know, they have to squint their eyes. They're like, yeah, I guess there's kind of a spot. And you know what he says? He goes, yeah, things were looking up. Now I have cancer. I was, things were going good. And now I have cancer. I know it's cancer. But let me tell you, art mimics life. The reason that's funny is because we've all experienced that. The reason that's funny is because we've all been in a moment when things were looking up and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, worry adapts to our situation, knocks on the door to our mind and says, yeah, this is a great moment, but what's going to happen here in a few minutes when it all goes away? What's going to happen when this job that you're seeing success in right now goes away here pretty soon? You're going to be jobless. Your worry will adapt to your situation, whether it is good or bad. We've all experienced that. We can all relate to that. But let me tell you, living, breathing hope is the original version of something that adapts to your situation. It's the way it should be. Living, breathing hope started in the garden in a hopeless situation when Adam and Eve make a mistake and they do the one thing they were told not to do and things looked hopeless, then all of a sudden, hope that lives and breathes stepped into the garden and God made a way in the moment he said, yeah, you made a mistake. You let this evil thing, this evil serpent into your life, but one day there'll be the seed of a woman that crushes his head. Hope breathed into that situation and living energetic hope interceded and made a way in that moment. It adapted to the situation. 
But you have to let, you have to let it. Worry is the world's negative version of hope. Matthew 6, 26, consider the birds. This is the words of Jesus. Do you think that they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your Father than they? They don't worry, they don't store up, and God takes care of them. If we could just remember that, if we could remember that, then instead of getting worried every time something comes our way, good or bad, we will start taking steps towards hope. Okay, so with all that in mind, I want to give you a definition. I believe we're going to have it up on the, up on the screen. This is not like what you'll find in a dictionary. This is kind of like my definition of hope. Being fully assured that God has an answer for your every situation, and at just the right time, your impossible will become a testimony of his goodness. Come on, being fully assured. Are you fully assured? Being fully assured that God has an answer for your every situation, and at just the right time, your impossible will become a testimony of his goodness. See, the world wants us to know that we have impossible moments, impossible things going on, and the world wants us to say, how can this ever be made right? Where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Man, if this thing goes wrong, I know something else is about to happen. Things are just gonna get worse and worse. Do you remember the land of Goshen? Have you ever heard that phrase? I think there's some, there's some food that the brand is called land of Goshen. Uh, I, I can't picture, but maybe you have the canned goods in your house or something. But here's what happened to the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen is where the children of Israel lived when the plagues were hitting Egypt. And when all of Egypt was covered in frogs, the land of Goshen was just fine. When Egypt was covered in locusts and flies, the land of Goshen was just fine. When the angel of death moved through the streets of Egypt and the firstborn of every person was killed, the people in the land of Goshen put the blood of the lamb over their doorsteps and the angel passed over every one of their homes. It was within the walls of Egypt, but when the plagues hit Egypt, the land of Goshen was just They could probably see it. If there's swarms of flies coming at your city in such a vast number that it makes the sky go dark, you could see that. You could open up your door and say, wow, that has a lot of flies. but they were just fine. They couldn't enter to the land of Goshen. Let me tell you, as a believer, you live in the land of Goshen. That's where you live. You live under a promise and a covenant that God said he's gonna take care of you even in greater measure than he takes care of the sparrows. But yet, when we see that swarm of flies come, and our mind says it's time to worry. What if, what if, what if? And then even when the moment passes and we're okay and the what if didn't happen, We've still lost days and days and weeks and sometimes years of joy and walking in peace because we spent so much time worrying. But you have a living, breathing hope on the inside of you. And when you open your door and see the swarms of flies and the locusts and the angel of death is passing through the streets of the city, your living, breathing hope adapts and says, but wait, I have a covering I have a covenant, I have a promise, and this stuff cannot come near my dwelling place. 
And this started before you were even saved. You know, hope is what leads you to salvation. Romans 8, 24 says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? In other words, you were in a bad spot. You heard about Jesus. And all of a sudden, your hope said, maybe that's what I'm missing. Maybe he's got what I need. Maybe it's not too late for me. And hope led you to salvation. It's the very thing that sparked on the inside of you, adapted to your situation as a non-believer and led you to Jesus. And then once you meet Jesus, that hope on the inside of you is the light at the end of the tunnel that your faith begins to move towards. You saw hope in Jesus, you received him, and then your dead spirit became alive in Christ. Romans 5, 17 says, death once held us in its grips, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom, freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah? You became alive in Christ with God, went at salvation, and then God gave you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. Listen to this in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Have you ever gloried in tribulations? When tribulations come, the world says it's time to worry. It's time to make a plan. I knew a whole lot of year 2000 doomsday preppers. Did y'all know some year 2000 doomsday preppers? They were not considering the sparrows. They were not considering the sparrows of the field and saying, man, God takes care of them. If all these computer things go crazy in the year 2000, we'll be okay too. All that doomsday food is bad now. I know because about 10 years ago, somebody made a donation to our schools in Nicaragua of year 2000 doomsday food that was a year away from its shelf life. So all of our schools ate for free that year because we had Y2K food. <laughs> See, God turned something bad and made it good. Rice. A lot of rice and a lot of broccoli and cheese and <laughs> beans. But listen, when tribulation comes our way, there's only a reason to say glory in tribulation is if you have a living, breathing hope on the inside of you yeah. that breathes life into every one of those moments when a tribulation comes. But instead of letting that hope breathe life, too many of us turn to the opposite, worry, and we let the enemy breathe his toxic, sulfur, nasty breath into that situation. Let's get back to this text. Glory and tribulations, knowing that tribulation works patience. Patience, experience, experience, hope. In other words, your experience in the tribulation is going to lead you to hope because your experience within that tribulation is going to be hope rising, breathing, and making a way. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That word, Holy Ghost right there is the Greek word pneuma. Pneuma, and here's what it means in the Greek, a current of air, breath, a breeze, figuratively or literally, a spirit. Does that remind you of the moment God created man and he was standing in front of God as nothing but clay? 
And God stood to him face to face, nose to nose, and breathed that very life of God onto the inside, and man came alive. That's the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that it says in Romans comes and dwells inside of you. The same spirit that came from the mouth of God and went into the body of Adam and brought him to life is still the spirit on the inside of you breathing life into every one of your situations. And hope leads your faith through every situation and according to Romans 5, brings growth. If you need a reference for that, that's from Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope and faith work hand in hand all the time. Your faith can be very dormant on the inside of you without hope leading the way for it. Your faith can remain on the inside of you very dormant if you're not allowing your hope to go before it, clearing a path for it. If you can picture it, the impossible situation arises and you begin to hope that there's a way through it. I begin to hope that God said, I'm gonna take care of you like I take care of the sparrows and even more, I'm gonna remember that. And I'm gonna begin to hope, oh, maybe there is a way out of this. And that impossible situation, picture it like a deep, dark, murky forest. That hope is just this beam of light that clears a path right through the middle of it and your faith says, that's where we're headed. We're going right through it. Living, breathing hope adapts to every situation. I mentioned my dad earlier praying with Shane's dad and other ministers. I believe Jerry was there too in the basement of Faith Methodist Church between 1988 and 1992. Man, my dad was filled with the Holy Spirit and the denomination said, you can't operate in that stuff in our denomination. Boy, when your church is growing, you're seeing people's lives changed. People are walking off the street into the sanctuary on Sunday mornings and giving their life to the Lord. That's not a very hopeful situation when somebody says you can't do that here anymore. But that living, breathing hope breathed life into that situation. And there was this thought, well, maybe we can take this party elsewhere. Maybe we can find a building somewhere else in this city and we can go after the Holy Spirit as much as we want. And now 30 years later, we have this thriving community. The person sitting beside you is here because hope adapted to an impossible situation in 1992. Man, our, our, our good friend, one of my heroes, the guy that ran our Bible college, Andrew Womack, if you don't know his testimony, one of the parts of his testimony that just blows me away is that he was in college on a scholarship and God told him to drop out of college. And this was... This was during the Vietnam War, and he knew that if he dropped out of college, there was a good chance he would get drafted and have to go to Vietnam. But he heard the Lord say, drop out of college. So he did it. He got drafted a few weeks later, and he was in Vietnam in an impossible situation. But hope adapted and breathed into that situation. And his time in Vietnam turned into him being in the bunker, spending 16 hours a day in the word of God, seeking the Lord. And when he left Vietnam, he had revelation on, the, on God and the nature of God that is still blessing people, including me and every one of you guys, even if you don't know it today. Right. Hope breathed into an impossible situation. Years ago, there was several people in our church who were just having a very hard time. There was fam it was a family that, that was separated. It looked like it was headed towards divorce. 
was a good friend of mine dealing with depression. There was so many attacks that seemed like from every side, and Lisa and I, on top of it, just had this horrible day. And at the end of the day, we felt a little breakthrough, right? We, 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 some of you know this story. I'm not going to get into the details, but we had a little breakthrough at the end of the day, and we sat down on our bed that night and wrote this song called That's Why We Never Give Up. And it was born out of a very impossible situation. The song has blessed us in our church for years. But let me tell you, Hope breathed in that moment. We wrote this song. And, and we hear testimonies all the time about how this song is ministered to people. Our good friends gave this testimony a year and a half ago. In our church, Daniel and Tracy Amstutz got the worst news they've ever had in their lives in Colorado two year, uh, three or four years ago. Maybe it was five years ago now. But the day they got this horrible, devastating news, somebody handed them a copy of one of our CDs. They put it in, and they heard the song, That's Why We Never Give Up. And they told us they spent the next two hours driving through the mountains of Colorado, listening to that song on repeat and allowing the Lord to minister to their hearts. And when they got back to their house, they knew, they knew there was hope for their situation. And they said they were able to lay in bed that night in peace because hope adapted to what they went through, and they felt hope. They then gave that CD to their daughter, who was in an abusive relationship. And she told us about two years ago that on the darkest day of her life, she heard that same song, and it gave her the strength to walk away from the person who was abusing her. And now, here we are two years later, she's married to the greatest guy of all time. They have a kid together, and the three kids they each brought from their other marriages are all together happy as a family. They're like the Brady Bunch. They all lead worship together, and hope breathed into an impossible situation. And it just keeps adapting, and it keeps breathing because it's living. It's active. It's the very breath of God. Let hope breathe into your impossible situation. You have to allow it to happen. You gotta turn the worry off. You gotta turn it around the other way. It's like turning off the cold water and turning on the hot water. You've got to do it. Don't forget about Zacchaeus. He was a thief and he just wanted to catch a glimpse of the Messiah. So he climbs up in a tree, hope breathed into that situation. He didn't just get a glimpse of the Savior. He had the Savior at his house later that night eating. While Jesus was walking the streets of Rome, the streets of Jerusalem, think about the history. Israel didn't even have a country to call their own. The Jewish people were basically refugees under the rule of a pagan king. They didn't even have a place to call their own kingdom. But the living hope was walking through those streets, breathing into that and giving everybody a home called the kingdom of God. Saul, who was really good at hunting down Christians and overseeing their deaths, was just trying to get from point A to point B. Point A to point B, the middle of that was the road to Damascus. That's where he was trying to go. All of a sudden, an angel appears. Saul's blind. The animals are freaking out. Everybody who's with him is freaking out. In the natural, that's a pretty bad situation. He's just trying to get to point B. He can't even see But on the road to Damascus, an impossible situation, the very spirit of God breathed life into that. And it changed Saul's life and it changed every one of our lives. Because he became Paul and he wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament. 
And even though he didn't walk with Jesus in the flesh, Peter said, Paul has revelation that's hard for all of us to understand. He knew Jesus in a more intimate way than the disciples who walked with him in the flesh. Because on the road to Damascus, on just a journey from point A to point B, hope breathed into the situation. So what is standing in your way right now? I mean, it could be a problem at work. It could be a family thing. It could be a, a relationship that's just gone south. You don't see how it can be fixed at all. It could be a financial thing. It could be anything. But what is it standing in your way? Because this is going to be your road to Damascus if you let hope breathe into it. This is going to be your impossible situation filled with the hope of Jesus if you let it. And here's what happens once you do. Here's what starts to happen. And this is like a warning, okay? This is a warning for you. If you start letting hope breathe into your situations, if you start to let hope breathe into your every moment, if you allow hope to rise up when you're just trying to get from point A to point B, you're going to start to get a little more attention than you have in the past. This is your warning, I know. But is isn't the bad kind of attention. This is the good kind of attention. Because there is a truth that I want you to take to heart today and I want you to leave here thinking about it. And that is this truth. And I've said it here before. But I'm going to say it again today. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. Yeah. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. Nobody wants to follow the sad sap standing in front of everybody saying it's getting bad, things are getting worse. There's no hope. Don't worry. Don't try to fix anything. Don't try to make a difference. Just sit around and live your life. Lock yourself in your home. Hopefully, you'll be okay. Lock yourself in your house. and Don't try to interact with people. Don't try to make a difference. Nobody wants to follow that guy. Nobody wants to follow that lady. People are drawn to the person standing in front of them saying, there is hope in this impossible situation. Paul even said, if you can't see it for yourself, look at me and I'll show you that hope. Some of us need to be bold enough to stand up and say, hey, you might not know the Jesus that I know, so just look at me. Watch me because I'm going to show you how to live in hope. If you watch me, if you do what I do, you'll see how to experience it. Be a little bolder. When you're walking with this energetic, living hope, breathing into your every situation, there's no reason to not be bold. There's no reason to not stand up in front of somebody and say, listen, I know there's a lot going on. I know it seems like you're worried. You have a lot of cares right now. But look at me. Stand up. Grab their hand. Say, walk with me. Let me show you how to live with hope. Let me breathe some hope into your situation. When you operate in hope, you will see more influence coming from you than you ever have in your whole life. And it doesn't matter if you're the chef in the kitchen or if you're the manager running the whole place. People will find the hope. They'll see that city on a hill, that light 
at the end of the tunnel. This is what we sing about in children's church. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? You got to let it shine. Also, there's this version of this little light of mine that Sam Cooke sings, and it's on Apple Music, and it's on Spotify. And if this little light of mine has never like lit your fire and got you excited, go look up Sam Cooke singing this little light of mine today, because it is one of my favorite recordings I've ever stumbled upon. First Corinthians 13, 13 says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Yes. Next week, we're going to be focused a whole lot on love. We're going to talk about love. Today, though, I want to point out in this scripture, through Paul, the Holy Spirit says, there's three things I want you to realize will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. I don't know why hope doesn't get more attention than it does. I don't know why anybody who's a believer would ever stand in front of you and say, don't get your hopes up. Because it's right here in black and white that one of the three greatest forces on earth that will actually last forever is hope. Yeah. It's up there with faith and love. Man, that's awesome. Faith, hope, and love. If you want to breathe one of the most powerful forces on earth into every situation, find the hope. Allow hope within you to adapt to whatever is coming your way. It might mean you guys maybe sit down and, and write out where you're seeing the hope. Keep a little journal. If you're a parent, sit down with your kids when things are going wrong. And don't, be, don't hide from the stuff that's not going right. Say, hey, kids, I know this has been stressful. I know we're going through something right now. And maybe you've heard us talking about this. But let me tell you, there's hope. Let me tell you, we can get through this because we have a Savior on the inside that is breathing hope into this situation. Allow that hope within you to breathe into your family, to breathe into your place of employment, to breathe into your church community to breathe into your relationship with your spouse. Man, if you're feeling the stress of the holidays, if you've been at each other's throats or whatever lately and you don't know why, but you just can't seem to get along, instead of saying all that stuff, in this moment right now, begin to just see the hope in that. Begin to see and let hope breathe into that situation. Because you have that living hope on the inside of you. And when everything around you says it's bad and it's just going to get worse, hope is saying, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Here's how we're going to get through this. And in fact, we're going to be stronger on the other side. In fact, we're going to get closer in the middle of it. Hope has an answer. It's on the inside. You just got to let it breathe. Romans 8.28 says, for those that are in Christ Jesus, he takes all things and works them for our yeah. good. And that verse in and of itself, if we believed it, is hope breathing into every situation. Well, I mess things up. He'll work it for your good. Well, the enemy's got a hold on me. Well, we could talk about that all day. But either way, he's going to work things for your good. Yeah. The world's against me. Yes, you're exactly right. Go ahead and move forward with that truth from now until we're not in this world anymore. The world's against you. Yes. He's going to work it for your good. 
allow hope to breathe into that situation and stop being surprised when the world's against you. That's actually one of the promises Jesus gave you that we don't love to talk about. Well, that got y'all excited. Man, I should have started with that. If we could rewind, I'd be like, the name of this message is, Yes, the World is Against You. <laughs> but get your hopes up. Because you have a living, breathing hope on the inside of you. And as the world turns against you, hope says, hold your head up. Hold your head up. Put your shoulders back. Walk with confidence. Because if God takes care of the sparrows, he's going to take care of you even more. Because when tribulation comes your way, hope isn't there lying dormant. It's breathing. And through you, you can see that situation turn around. Let's read our definition again. Hope, being fully assured that God has an answer for your every situation and at just the right time, your impossible will become a testimony of his goodness. Come on. It's impossible right now. But soon you're going to be saying, listen to what God did. Listen to what God did. And if you're still not convinced, take some time, maybe even right now, and remember the last impossible situation you were in that God turned around. Because every single one of us in here have had one. Every single one of us in here have experienced that impossible situation turn around. And if he did it once, he'll do it again. If he did it once, he'll do it again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Isn't that good news? Come on. Well, I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we close. I got a word for you guys that I'm just going to share as the band comes up, but this is something that the Lord spoke to me this morning uh, for our church prophetically, and I shared it with the early morning prayer group. Hey, if you guys love praying, prove it. Come to prayer at, <laughs> come to prayer at 930 on Sunday mornings. We have prayer time at 930 on Sunday mornings, and I'm just going to be honest. I hear a whole lot of you say, oh, I just love to pray. But honestly, I've never seen it. Come on <laughs> to church at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. You can drink coffee while you pray. You can eat a biscuit while you pray because it's all here. We can pray. Uh, you can bring up something that maybe you don't have time to grab me after church and say, hey, I need you to pray with me about this. We can pray at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. If you can get to work at 8 o'clock, you can get to church at 9.30, right? <laughs> Come on, maybe, y'all really liked it when I just said the whole thing about uh, the world is against you. Maybe I should start approaching all these messages as more of the negative light. Like, <laughs> instead of the real positive thing, I don't, that way I usually hit things, if I just go negative, I mean, maybe everybody will come to prayer, and, and uh, I don't know. I'm not quite there yet. But all I'm saying is, is prove it. Come on to church at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. You won't be sad that you did. You won't miss out. You won't go to bed that night thinking, man, I wish I had that other half hour of sleep last night. You'll be good. I promise. So this morning, though, in prayer, I, I, I told the group that something the Lord had on my heart this week. I want to share it with you. Uh, I know you just got a message, and I hope you took it to heart. Uh, I, I hope that you're going to allow hope this week to breathe into every situation that comes your way. I hope you will forever. But more specific and detailed that I probably won't even put on the podcast this week. I'll probably cut it before we get here. 
But the Lord spoke to me and said, there's a lot of us in this community who are feeling overwhelmed by the dream that God put in your heart, that you're feeling overwhelmed by the vision that God's given you. And this applies to you as an individual. This applies to you as a married couple. Married couples, I hope you dream together. I hope you have goals and visions, even spiritually, for your family. But I believe there's more than a few of you who have been overwhelmed by the magnitude of what God has called you to do. And here's what the Lord is saying. Don't let the vastness, the bigness, the, 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 how huge the calling on your life is to get you down. Don't turn the dream that he put in your heart into something smaller and more attainable. Allow that dream to have residence in your heart. Allow that dream to have residence in your mind. And when the enemy says, or when just our flesh says, hey, that's a pretty big dream. Aren't you worried you can't get there? Let hope breathe into it and just rest in what the Lord's called you to do and cast that worry out. That's called casting down vain imagination. And that doesn't just happen when you say the magic words, I cast out vain imagination. No, that's an action. You have to actually cast out that vain imagination. You have to stop thinking about it and start thinking about something else. So those dreams that you have that seem so large and unattainable, relax in the fact that in your flesh they are unattainable. God does not call you to do something you can do without Him. Right? He calls you to do things you can't do without Him. Don't allow the vastness, don't allow the size of the dream to bring discouragement into your life. Just give it residence. Give that dream residence in your heart, residence in your mind, and just focus on what the next step is. And that next step might seem so small and minuscule, your flesh says, well, this is, if, if I gotta walk a million steps, this isn't even half of a step, just take it. Just take that half step and allow the dream to live. Allow the dream space. Jesus told us to go make disciples of the whole world. Nobody's done it yet. But we're not going to allow how big that call is to discourage us from going out and ministering to the person on the street at Gastonia Street Mission who just needs some food and some love that night. You have a God that on purpose put that big, giant, huge dream on the inside of you. Don't allow discouragement make it smaller keep going and when the dream gets bigger and you're like wait how can this get bigger it's all right give it residence give it place draw a picture sketch it out write it out and if you're still not there in 30 years from now it's all right if you're breathing there's still time give that dream residence no matter how big it is don't make it smaller don't make it smaller. I'm telling you, that's for so many of you. Don't make the dream smaller. If that's for you and you want to be bold, just put your hand up. All right, come on. That's for y'all. And if you don't have your hand up and you're like, I should have put it up, it's okay. We're all very blessed that God does not look at our actions, right? He looks at the actions of Jesus and says, hey, that's why you're in good standing. Man, you got big dreams for a reason. 
man, if people in the world get there, how much more is God on our side getting us there? So many times we shut off. So many times we shut off what he's trying to do in our life because we say, no, it's, that's too big, God, we're not doing that anymore. That's too big, we're not going that direction anymore. And God says, oh yes, you are. You're still going there. There's this crazy scripture in the Old Testament that says people were building this tower. You heard of the Tower of Babel, right? Here's the part that blows my mind. It says they were all together working in unison. God didn't want them to build this tower. Their goal was to build a tower to heaven. And that word doesn't mean the sky. It means heaven. And here's the crazy thing. It says, and they would have succeeded if God hadn't intervened and stopped it. He didn't want it to happen. There's some really, really impossible stuff humanity is capable of on their own without God. Isn't that crazy? But you got God on your side. You have the live and breathe and hope on the inside of you. And he wants you to get there. So that's the word. Don't make the dream smaller. Just let that giant, huge dream have residence in your heart, in your mind. Just focus on that next step. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're not talking about a big old floodlight. We're talking about 4,000 years ago, a lamp. It was enough light to maybe light up that next step. But if you can see that next step, you know you're not going to stumble. You know if there's an obstacle to step over it. It's enough to step safely. Let his word lead you. Don't shrink the dream. Don't make it smaller. Let's all respond to the Lord with some worship. Let's all stand up together and respond with just a few minutes of focusing on him, letting the band lead us in this moment. And just allow hope, even in this moment as we focus on him, to breathe into your situation.